Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, media trainer and editor of veganbusinessmedia.com, the multimedia blog providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. In this episode, I interview Victoria Moran from Main Street Vegan Academy. Victoria is a hugely successful writer who's been featured on The Oprah Winfrey Show twice, as well as in other high-profile media, including Good Morning America and The Washington Post. She's been vegan for 31 years, and her college thesis was the first work on vegan philosophy and practice to be put out by a major publisher back in 1985. Victoria is the best-selling author of 12 books covering areas such as spirituality, compassion and plant-based eating. They include Creating a Charmed Life, The Love-Powered Diet, Main Street Vegan and the most recent The Good Karma Diet. A renowned inspirational speaker, certified holistic health counsellor and graduate of the T. Colin Campbell Foundation eCornell program in plant-based nutrition, nearly four years ago Victoria launched Main Street Vegan Academy to train and certify vegan lifestyle coaches. The six-day program is held four times a year in New York City where Victoria has lived for many years. She's also the host of Main Street Vegan weekly radio show and podcast. In this interview, Victoria talks about the mindset shift needed, particularly for creatives and activists, to launch and run a business and become comfortable with being a business owner. How being open to diversifying your offerings can bring a multitude of opportunities to grow your business. Why the Buddhist concept of beginner's mind is essential for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs to embrace, and much more. Here's the interview with Victoria Moran of Main Street Vegan Academy. Hello, Victoria. Thank you so much for joining me today. Ah, Katrina, always a pleasure. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to, to speaking with you and getting your insights because what I love about you is you have been a very, very successful writer and author for many, many years. And then I think it was, what, three, four years ago now, you started up uh, Main Street Vegan Academy. So this is a question I always ask everyone to start with. What was your why? Why did you change direction? <laughs> you know, it was genuinely an aha moment. Um I had the book Main Street Vegan in the works, and there was a problem with the title. The publisher didn't like the word Main Street, and for all your readers... Oh, how funny. <laughs> you're going to say didn't like the word vegan. No, no. But, you know, that's, that's funny. When I was wrestling with, what am I going to call my book? The publisher hates Main Street, and lovely Martin Rowe at, at uh, Lantern Books had said, well... Five years ago, they wouldn't have liked vegan, um, but they didn't like Main Street. And I was trying to come up with another title unsuccessfully. And I, I believe I've told this story uh, to your listeners before. I was walking up Broadway in New York City. There was Michael Moore, the filmmaker, who had liked one of my previous books. We started talking. We eventually got to this subject of book title, and he said, let me talk to them because Main Street Vegan is the perfect title. So after an incredible three-way conversation with my editor, an Academy Award winner, and me, my editor approached the higher-ups at Tarcher Penguin 
to see what could be done about the title. And when she called me to tell me that she had convinced them that Main Street Vegan was indeed my title, it was really, Katrina, as if somebody had just set off a switch and all these ideas started popping. It was like, yes, Main Street Vegan is a book and Main Street Vegan radio show, which has happened. And then some other ideas that didn't happen. I remember Main Street Vegan muffins and Main Street Vegan makeup <laughs> and then Main Street Vegan Academy training and certifying vegan lifestyle coaches and educators. And when that idea surfaced, it was just the only thing that I can equate it to is is deciding to have my daughter because I was one of those women who just did not want to have children. Children were fine for other people. I had other things going on in the world, but I, I passed over this kind of, I don't know, abyss. And one day I knew I had to have a baby. And now my wonderful lifetime vegan daughter, Adair, who's a stunt performer <laughs> and a wildlife rehabber, exists in the world. And it was really like that. I knew I had to have this academy. I didn't know the first time if anybody would come, but they did. And now uh, we're about to have our 15th class. That's wonderful. That's such a cool story as well. I love the way you very casually named Michael Moore there. <laughs> that well, really that's great. who it was. If it had been Joe Blow from Dry Cleaners, I would have said it was so. Oh, that's fantastic. So it's interesting. So what? tell me about what some of the challenges were, because as you say, you've gone, and particularly, I guess, because you've come from this creative background and activist background as well, being a vegan for, for such a long time. Um, what were some of the challenges in actually starting up the academy? Well, uh, the challenges are still there because I never saw myself as a business person. One thing that is helping me a lot is right now I have come to see that being a business person is great. <laughs> being a business person <laughs> is a wonderful thing. And I am saving animals and making the world better because I am in business with Main Street Vegan Academy and sending people out so that they can make the world better and, and save animals. So I'm very proud to be in business. And I find myself sometimes having to defend that or even having to defend the capitalist system. <laughs> and heaven knows I'm not on Wall Street or anything. And yet what really excites me about being in a capitalist country is that the marketplace demand runs almost everything. And we don't have these these chicken companies and, and these dairy companies and, and junk food companies and pharmaceutical companies providing their products because that's the only products that these companies would be willing to make. Those are the products they're making because that's what the marketplace is calling for. And what we're seeing now is this shift. And it's tiny in the whole grand scheme of things, but it's so huge compared to where it started that people are demanding vegan products, cruelty-free products, compassionate products, sane products. And so that really is going to change the marketplace. So I'd say the first challenge I had to overcome was that just because I was in, in business didn't mean that I was going to be, what's the guy from Wall Street? Uh, <laughs> So that, that was the first thing. And I think the, the other thing, and this is probably, you asked about the beginning, and I guess I'm skipping forward a bit because I'm living in today and we are, um, 
nearly four years into Main Street Vegan Academy, um, the willingness to really learn to think strategically and make decisions as a business person. Because you said that I came from the arts and from activism, and that is all true. But I also came from a lot of spirituality, and and I'm I'm still there. I'm just it's been my great fascination all my life, and so I'm one of those people who would say it'll all work out. <laughs> you know, God will provide. <laughs> the universe is abundant, and. I believe that, but in business, you've kind of got to have, you know, some, um, some actual numbers backing it up. So I, if, it's a great lesson for me in, in my own life to learn how to think and behave as an adult in business. Mm, absolutely. I can really resonate with what you're saying because I'm similar, you know, come from that sort of writing and activist background. And I thought, oh, being in business, you know, that's all horrible and, you know, it makes you a bad person and all that kind of thing. And I think a, a lot of people sort of, you know, getting there have to try and get their head around that. Were there any like techniques or I know you mentioned you come from the spiritual um, background and everything. I wonder, are there any because telling someone like telling other vegans, you know, look, you've got to get over your money issues because, you know, it's for the greater good. But sometimes, you know, like our, our unconscious beliefs negative beliefs around money and wealth can be quite deep-seated. I'm just wondering, did it just kind of come to you or were there any techniques or things that you used to actually shift that internal mindset around money and business? You know, I wish I could tell you that there were, but in all honesty, I've never been a big techniques person. <laughs> it's more just sort of <laughs> doing the next indicated thing, seeing what life uh, presented. Um, some. Thing I would recommend for anybody who really just has a problem with money, there is a 12-step program just like AA, but it's called <laughs> Under Earners Anonymous. And oh it's a gosh, fairly really? small group. It's 10 years old. And they have um, internet and phone meetings, a wonderful, wonderful network of phone meetings around the world and literally around a 24-hour clock. And they have some very interesting tools because they say that people who have a problem consistently earning the amount of money that they want to be earning for the life that they want have certain things in common. For example, they believe that they constantly need to reprove themselves, even though they've already shown that they're competent people. Um, they're people who tend to um, maybe want to work alone when they would do much better with employees or, or some kind of colleagues helping in, in the business. And you can go to the site, underearnersanonymous.org, and, and look at their literature. They show all the symptoms, and not everybody that could use this uh, assistance, you know, has all these <laughs> symptoms. And then they also have tools and there's some very, it's almost boot camp like tools. Like one of the things is um, to really be careful about getting into debt. You know, we have the idea that the only way to start a business is, is to go use other people's money. And certainly if you're going to be building uh, high rises in Manhattan, yeah, you're going to need to go to the bank and get a loan. But if you're going to start making vegan jam, you know, chances are you could use your own money or do a Kickstarter or something so that you don't start out um, in in the hole. Um, and there are other ideas um, about 
just really growing up and and taking charge in your business and your life. Uh, there's not any charge for any of their services, and I would recommend people check out the website under earnersanonymous.org. That's brilliant. I hadn't heard of that. That sounds like an excellent resource. Thank you very much. Now, so in terms of um, staff, or what you meant, because you were, mentioned about, you know, working with people just then. So what, if any, sort of kind of expert help have you used over the, the years um, to grow Main Street Vegan Academy, Victoria? Well, I've had some consulting. Um, Michael Parrish Dudell, whom I believe you know, um, who mm-hmm. wrote the Shark Tank TV shows business books and who's yes. a longtime vegan, was very helpful. I worked uh, for a bit in the beginning with Stephanie Redcross of Vegan Mainstream. She's absolutely oh. fabulous. Very, very helpful with online presence, which was something that it, for me, it's a continual job. And somebody said, I was in a kind of seminar a couple of weeks ago, and somebody said, we're going to go around the room and we're going to say the first thing that pops into your head, if you were told that you had only six months to live, how would you change the way you live? And what popped into my head was I would not post a single thing on social media for six months. (laughs) Yeah, in business, not knowing how long I have to live. (laughs) So I I did that. And then I also just got some help. And this is one of the reasons I'm so thrilled to be in vegan business as opposed to just random business out there in the world, because there is so much help. And in my experience, very, very little jealousy even though you know lots of people are in similar kinds of business and they have a similar service or a similar product, people are just amazingly wonderful. And in the case of Main Street Vegan Academy, I knew it was going to be a small program. I knew it was going to be a boutique program because this is New York City. And so renting space is a big deal. And to rent space for a six-day program several times a year, I knew would up the cost of tuition to the point that a whole lot of people just couldn't do it because I'm committed to being in person, not online. So people have to get here from wherever they come from. They have to find a place to stay. So I'm very aware of keeping the tuition actually competitive with online courses that have almost no overhead. So I knew we were going to be small and Yet I still didn't know how we were going to get the 15 to 18 people to make a go of this every time. The first time, I really do think it was just magic and miracle. Uh, the people found this course from my online postings. I did an appearance on the Our Hen House podcast. And things just came together to to have that very first class with 13 students happen and it's so amazing to me how, how things work together. In that first class, there were so many amazing people. J.L. Fields um, that you may have had on your show. She's incredible. Yes. She's a, a consultant and, and a coach and a product consultant, and she writes books. And she comes from Colorado Springs now every time as a faculty member for the Academy. And there are probably five or six um, stories just like that from that first class. But once that happened... I was just sitting at my desk one day thinking, well, what now? Because I want to do this again. But, you know, there's a time frame when you're doing print ads and that sort of thing on when those will get out. 
how, how do I know if anybody is going to come next? And what happened for me was just a great act of friendship. Freya Dinshaw from the American Vegan Society offered some help. They had gotten a part of the settlement from the once famous McDonald's lawsuit. This happened about 20 years ago. McDonald's had been putting beef powder in their French fries. So they were sued by a Hindu group and they ended up giving money to a handful of of vegetarian vegan organizations in addition to the Hindu group. The only stipulation was that the organizations couldn't use that money for their day-to-day operations. They had to put it out into the world for somebody else's vegetarian operation. And it was nearly done. They had almost used all of it and they had a little bit left and they said, we're going to help you. We're going to provide some scholarship money. So for the next four courses, there was scholarship money from the American Vegan Society so that people who had heard of the course but couldn't handle the tuition got help. And it was so interesting. In the second class, I think half the people got some scholarship help. And then in each of those subsequent classes, that number diminished until when the agreement with the American Vegan Society had ended and I was on my own. The word was out. The word of mouth was out there. The ads were showing up in Veg News and Vegan Health and Fitness. And the Academy has thrived on its own ever since. That's wonderful. And you've actually, you kind of covered the couple of the questions I was going to ask next, which was around the whole thing and the whole concept of competition. Um, and you know, what your standout is. And I, I remember when we've spoken before, you said you, you know, you could get a whole lot more people coming on if you did it online, but you want them to travel to, to New York. Like if people go to Harvard, they got to, you know, <laughs> travel there. And if they want to come to, to do your program. So I think you've, you've got that real unique point of difference. And the other thing that you mentioned, which I really love, and I've totally found that as well is, is that you know, a lot of marketing people say nowadays businesses need to stop thinking about having competitors as such and instead embrace them as collaborators with whom to do joint ventures. And I think you've given, I was going to ask you what your thoughts are on that. And you've, you've pretty much answered that because you've just demonstrated that how, you know, when you put yourself out there and particularly within the vegan community, you know, we all do want to help one another because we're, we're mission driven and we, we want to get out there and make the world a different place. It's so, it's so uh, true. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, that that's right. So I, I was going to kind of ask you, have you done any kind of, you know, such partnerships? And I guess you have with your faculty because you've got a pretty, like, uh, um, as well as doing this amazing course, you've got some wonderful people on your faculty. Do you want to just mention a couple of the, or a few of the people that are now teaching on your course? Oh, sure. Oh, gosh. They're, they're just so sparkly. <laughs> I'm so grateful that I'm in New York City and have access to them. And then some people fly in from elsewhere. Well, we have uh, Dr. Robert Ostfeld from the Montefiore Cardiac Wellness Program in the Bronx. And it's, it's very important to me that we have a medical doctor on our faculty. We actually have had a medical doctor take the course, and we have two more enrolled to take the course uh, in, in July and in October. So that's wonderful. We have um, Marty Davy, La Diva Dietitian, uh, who does our nutrition classes. We have Marianne Sullivan, who is uh, an animal rights attorney and a law professor at Columbia, and her partner, Jasmine Singer, and together they are 
our hen house. So they do animal rights. And I mean, we're talking about people who are really at the center uh, of this thing. Um, and then we have some other people who aren't so well known, but who are absolutely exquisite at what they do. We have a young woman named Tatiana Ferrero Puerta, who teaches coaching techniques for vegan lifestyle coaches. And what's really interesting is this was a difficult course for me to find the right instructor for. And I went through several. We had some excellent uh, life coaches, executive coaches, people who really understand those disciplines. But vegan lifestyle coaching is unique. It's probably closer to health coaching than to anything else, but it's not health coaching. There are people who want to be vegans who really want to know where they can get the best donut. So we've got to train people to be empathetic, yes, about people's feelings and what's going on in their families and the challenges they have to face, but also to be teachers. So uh, Tatiana does a beautiful job of working with the different learning styles and how we approach each client or each small group so that we're really meeting the needs of that person. I think that the main philosophy that I have with Main Street Vegan Academy and I guess with everything else that I do is that veganism for me is about love and nonviolence. And so everything that I do as a business person has to be the same way. I mean, you talked about competition. I mean, I'm still an author and I think of myself as an author first as, as a writer because I've done that since I was 14 years old, done it you know, for money since I was 14 years old. And so if we get into the jealousy thing, I mean, in the book world, for instance, somebody else is always going to have a bigger book. That's just the way it is in the world. I know that in terms of different sorts of vegan programs, some of the other programs that are online and, and that are sponsored by large organizations and that have reach, you know, into the thousands, they have the thousands. But you have to decide what you want in your business and what you need in your business. And what I want and need in my business is 15 to 18 incredible vegans who are willing to have an amazing immersion experience for six days and then go out into the world, stay connected with us, be entrepreneurial, because not everybody that goes through the program coaches, lots of them start businesses, and um, and just be connected as they go out and change the world. So I think it's humbling in a way that when you get into business, it's very obvious not every business is going to be a Fortune 500, but every vegan business is going to do its part in saving animals and changing the world. So in one way, unless you start out in a whole lot of debt, you're a success before you even start. That's wonderful. I love that. That's so true. You know, often we think about, oh, well, if you're going to start your own business, you know, it means we've got to grow this empire. And, and that's not what a lot of people want. And I think that's really important that you've pointed that out to to decide what you want from your business. And as you say, with it being an ethical and a vegan business, it's already um, a winner. So that's fantastic. Now, you mentioned, as though you've, you've been a writer for many, many years, Victoria, and you've been featured in a ton of media, including being on Oprah twice, which is super impressive. So we'll, we'll just name drop that in there. Um, now, what 
what I wonder is, I know you've you've used obviously big PR firms um, as well, but can you offer what kind of tips can you offer to vegan business owners and entrepreneurs in terms of how to get media coverage? It's tricky. (laughs) It used to be be easier, even though it was harder. In the old days, there was much less media. Obviously, without the Internet, you had to get radio, TV, print, and you had to get through the gatekeepers at those media establishments to get that coverage. So the best way to do that at that time was hire a PR firm. They're expensive now. They were expensive then. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but they they were and are the people who have lunch with the editors and the producers. I think everybody who's ever worked with a good PR firm has has amazing stories. Um in in one case, I had hired a publicist and he was not a huge firm. He was just a really nice guy who's nearly vegan himself, really believes in what I do. And he felt bad that he didn't get me enough placements for a particular book. And he went to lunch with a producer from Good Morning America after we were no longer working together and talked about me. And the very next morning, somebody had had a plane that was delayed or whatever, and they needed somebody that morning. And she thought of me, and that's how I got on. So... These things only happen when you're hanging out with people who are having lunch with those folks. So on the one hand, one could say that was less democratic and only open to people who could pay somebody or who had a publisher or an investor who could pay somebody. But on the other hand, it was very clear that if you did have access to somebody like that and then you had a decent product, chances are you could get some of these um, medium and large placements. Nowadays, oh my gosh, it is a free-for-all. It's much more open. A lot more people can get noticed because of the Internet. But there are a lot more people out there so you don't necessarily need to pay a PR firm to become well-known. You could get a fabulous YouTube channel. You could work your your head off on Facebook <laughs> or, or Twitter or Instagram or Periscope, and you could get a really big following in these ways. And people who are really young seem to just take to that. I have a lovely intern now who's 18, and I just love it. It's like she's not just like 28 years old young. She's 18 young. So that's very (laughs) cool. Um, And yet the traditional media is the surest way to get known because the, the Internet is so up for grabs. So I think it's important nowadays to strategically use both, depending upon the kind of business you have, the kind of budget that you have, and see what works. So, for example, for the Academy, I thought that I was going to have to be going out speaking at VegFest 15 times a year until I was 95, because in the beginning, so many people who came to the Academy said, well, we heard you speak in Boston, we heard you speak in Portland, we heard you speak, we heard you speak. But now, word of mouth has picked up, and a lot of people are going straight to Google. 
So you obviously need to have your SEO in order and really be sure that you're reaching people that way. I would say that since my ads have been in those paper magazines, Veg News and Vegan Health and Fitness, the response has been excellent. It's really made the difference. And if anything ever happened, heaven forbid, that I wasn't able to travel and get out and speak like I do now, I trust that the Academy would continue to thrive because enough people are hearing about it that way. So I think your question actually is, how do you get on TV? yeah, I guess I'm talking, I'm just curious. I suppose because you've been on these high profile, um, TV shows like Oprah, like Good Morning America, you know, how feasible is that nowadays, do you think, for, for someone, say, who, who hasn't got the budget to hire a, a high end, um, PR firm? Um, what are their chances or, you know, uh, of doing not, that now? Not very good. Unless, but here's where the internet can really help, even with traditional PR. The the PR firms were sort of like literary agents when you want to get a book published from a big publisher. You could have a wonderful book. You could be a terrific writer. But those publishers have a policy that they will not look at an unagented manuscript or an unagented Mm. proposal. And maybe that's just because they're swamped and maybe it's because they're elitist. I don't know. It's just the way it is. And it's the same way with the big TV shows not so much the print media, but certainly the electronic media. If you just call and say, I just opened this great burger place, they're not going to talk to you. But you get something like by Chloe here in New York City, which is yeah. a, an upscale burger restaurant <laughs> that is so popular that my, my friend was saying yesterday, well, if you go at 10 in the morning, you can usually get it. Like, I don't want a burger at 10 in the morning. But you know, she had some reputation before from from reality TV, from, from uh, the cooking shows. And so, and she has backers and she, I'm, I'm sure, uh, had a, a great PR firm. So right. it's, you know, it's sometimes it, you just think, oh gosh, when you're successful, you just get more successful. Some of it is luck. I mean, certainly for, for me with Oprah, the first time I was out on book tour with a new book and I was so excited about it and it did turn out to be my best selling book of all time, Creating a Charmed Life. Then I get this call from the Oprah people and they say, we, we want you, uh, day after tomorrow, with Shelter for the Spirit, which was my preceding book. And I said, no, 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 you, you, you don't understand. The new book is Creating a Charmed Life. And there was this pause. And the producer said, we want Shelter for the Spirit. And the backstory there was, and you authors are a dime a dozen, and I can just hang up and get another one in short order. So I said, yes, ma'am, and, and went on with, with the other one. The second time um, I was on, I had a, a PR firm that I had hired, and I also had the uh, publisher's PR. I'm going to sneeze. <coughs> Excuse me. And somehow they were both pitching, and there's, they had so many producers at that particular show at that time, I believe it was 35 producers, who didn't know what the other ones were doing. And when I ultimately got on, I do not know to this day whether it was the publisher's publicist or the PR firm that made that happen. So I just profoundly thank everybody, because sometimes I think it's just a little bit of 
fate and, and kismet. So you do your work. You put your very best effort out there. If you don't have a PR firm, maybe you can work with a student who, who's getting a degree in public relations. They need experience and they know how to do a press release the way it's supposed to be done today and how to do that. Maybe you can get some help that way. If not, just Google how to do a press release. Do your own. Follow up with a phone call and then follow up with another phone call. If you had followed up with 10 phone calls and nobody calls you back, stop or they'll turn you in for harassment. (laughs) But it's going to take more than one phone call. It might take 10. So it's really a fine line. And I think another thing we talked before about having um, mentors and and, uh, business consultants and people like that. You have to really have people who are not invested in your business or your book or whatever it is to let you know how much to push on some of this stuff because each of us believes that our idea, our business, our baby is the best ever and certainly if the world knew about it, they would want to shout from the housetops. But the fact is that's not necessarily the case. And you've got to be really clear about what you have and about the needs of the news outlet. Something that people in in media say repeatedly is they can't stand it when people pitch to them who don't know who they are or what they want. And I can say this as a podcaster myself. I do the Main Street Vegan show every week, Main Street Vegan podcast, And I get big PR firms contacting me constantly that they have somebody who wrote a book on weight loss or whatever it is that's not even vegetarian. I mean, I understand some people don't understand vegetarian, vegan, but they understand somebody saying eat chicken, fish, and beef is not vegetarian, but they'll (laughs) pitch a show called Main Street Vegan because they just don't do their homework. and. That that just is upsetting. I don't have time to deal with people who can't do the tiniest little bit of research, like go to a dictionary mm. and find out what vegan means. And so as we're pitching uh, people in media, big or small, you need to find out what that show is about, who they have on, who they've had on before. If you have, um, I don't know, a, a vegan catering business and you contact a podcast that had a vegan catering business on last week, well, they're going to know that you don't listen to their podcast. Exactly. So yeah, I can so relate. Work and, um, yeah. you be savvy. It's so true. I mean, because, you know, my background is journalism, so I've received literally thousands of media releases. And you're right, it's even like I sometimes I'm shocked when it actually comes from PR firms themselves. I kind of look and think, come on, you should know better. It's like they make it so obvious that, you know, they're not tuned into the outlet. Uh, they just want something from you. Um, you know, they want you to do their yeah, to give them PR, you know, and I always teach people, you know, you never come to a journalist, you never approach a journalist with the perspective of what you want from them or wanting publicity from them because it's not our job. Job. You know, our job as a journalist is to provide entertaining stories and uh, engaging and interesting stories that are relevant to the audience. So I'm really glad that you, you've said that. That's brilliant. That's a very comprehensive answer. Thank you so much. I'm um, just on marketing and, um, and uh, uh, Victoria, what kind of current forms of marketing strategies are you using right now? And which do you find most effective? 
I wish I could tell you what was most effective because it really does seem to require a blanket approach these days. I went to a seminar once about using the Internet in business, and this person said, I know it's going to take all your time and energy, but people get their information in so many different ways. You can't assume that because you put it on Facebook, everybody saw it. And and he laid out the different kind of demographic groups. And there are some people who only do Twitter. And there are some people, mostly older people, who really need to get your newsletter or see an ad in a print journal because that's how they're going to get their information. Now, obviously, we're not going to be able to reach everybody with everything that we do. But if you want to reach the most people possible, you really do need to have a wide platform, if only by cross-promotion online, if only by doing your Instagram and clicking Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is, <laughs> wherever you are, just so that everything you put out reaches the most people. And also what you said about approaching journalists it, it is absolutely true when you're doing your own online PR as well, and that is have a fabulous story to tell. It's one thing to say, I make really good chocolate chip cookies, you want to buy some, but it's another thing to tell the story of how you made these chocolate chip cookies with your grandmother, and then you went vegan, and you wondered what grandma would think that you have to do it differently, and how she came around and read the China study, and now your grandmother's a vegan too. I mean, you don't make up a story like that, but the fact is, stories like that are all over the place in the vegan world. And sometimes our stories are so close to us, we don't even know that we have them. And so you need to ask the people around you, like, look at my business, look at my vegan life. Tell me what's really fascinating about it. Tell me some of my stories. And when you you get it, that you have these amazing tales to tell, these wonderful coincidences and serendipities, that's really what fascinates people. And you get that out there, and then, of course, you can expect other people to help you. If you've got a good enough story, you're going to get share and retweet. Exactly. I mean, because we're hardwired as people to, you know, as humans to respond to stories. That's why the phrase, you know, once upon a time, it's so powerful because we're like, what, what, what happens next? <laughs> um, so uh, I love that. And you're absolutely right is that not only do we offer journalists and other media um, stories, but yes, you're absolutely right. We need to share them ourselves. And now that we've, you know, we are the media now, which is kind of really exciting. Uh, you know, we, we, we are, pu- we're all publishers. Every time you put something on social media, you're a, a publisher is yeah to share your stories, right? rather than constantly doing the hard sell. That's fantastic. So um, my final question then for you, Victoria, is just what have been the key lessons that you've learned through running Main Street Vegan Academy? Oh, my goodness. One is that I do not have a business background and I need to study business just the way I studied nutrition to be a healthy vegan, just the way I had to learn uh, what was going on with the animals so that I knew I didn't want to support those industries. I really have to work at being in business. I have to read business books, even though I don't care for business books. <laughs> you know, I, I need to get on those vegan mainstream webinars. I really need to have beginner's mind. 
that I think sometimes we do well in something, you know, we're in the corporate world or, or, or we're doing something and we're very competent at that. And then we switch into something else. And that beautiful Buddhist concept of beginner's mind, it doesn't matter how much I've done or how much I know in one area. When I start something new, I have to have beginner's mind. I have to be willing to learn. So that's a big one. Another one is I have to be open to growth. And a lot of the vegan entrepreneurs that I talk to have the idea of, well, it's okay for me to have my little bitty teeny business, but I don't want it to get any bigger than that because, you know, I don't want to like leave my dog and stuff. No, you expand, you grow, you become as big as you can become, you bring your dog to work with you because we owe that to the animals. And I understand we're not all going to be IBM and, and Microsoft, but you also don't want to confine yourself to to being small. And for me, this means, has meant, continues to mean working with other people. And lots of people are just willing to help. I mean, I have a friend here in New York City who always wants to come and make one of the meals. Just, he doesn't charge me. He just wants to do this because he loves veganism and he feels that I presented that to him and he wants to do that for me. There's another man who lives in California who travels to New York because he grew up here and when he's in town during an academy, he wants to come and clean. He says, I'll come and do your dishes. So there's that kind of help, but then there's also the help that we do pay for. And I think that it's very hard for people in the beginning to have a budget for that, to want to make their price points so that they can pay for, for help. But you're not going to grow if it's just you, simply because it's still a 24-hour day and one person can't do it all. So we have to be open to growth. And a lesson for me is I have to be willing to expand my self-concept. My self-concept expanded that I could be a successful author, but that was just me. I wrote the books. But with Main Street Vegan, it really is a collaborative effort. And finally, the third thing that I'll say is willingness to diversify. Because this is how you not only grow a business, but you keep it lively, you keep it exciting, you reach more people, you help more animals. So I have the academy, I have the podcast, I have my books, and I also have Main Street Vegan Productions, which started out just to do the feature film that my husband and I wrote, Miss Liberty, about a cow that escapes from a slaughterhouse. But I was contacted by a wonderful documentarian from Florida, and he has asked if Main Street Vegan Productions would come in with him in an executive producer capacity on his documentary about veganism and people who are religious or who have spiritual lives and why so many people, so many really good people, very devout in whatever their spiritual uh, tradition might be, they're still eating animals. So why is this? Yes. It's called The Compassion Project. And I'm now a film producer. Who would have thought? So the wow. so one thing I've had to learn <laughs> is this willingness to allow the business to not be me. That for so long it was just, I'm me and I write books but these businesses now have their own personality and to let that be, it's almost like having children. 
You know, I can't tell my daughter, oh, no, you have to do everything like me and believe like me and think like me. She'd never talk to me again. And the businesses <laughs> are like that as well. Wow. That is such good advice. I love that about the whole that you have the beginner's mind. It's so true. You know, you, you can't kind of, I mean, there's a the whole concept of fake it till you make it, but you've still got to put in the, the work and the effort to re, you know, to learn new things. Um, and what I love about you is the fact that, you know, you have diversified and that you're putting yourself out there. And when you do start to put yourself out there, opportunities start to come to you if you're kind of hiding away or like you mentioned kind of trying to stay small usually through fear then you get kind of stuck but when you do take that step and just put yourself out there all kinds of things start to happen and and that's really it's good for us obviously in our business but it's also good for the for the world and for the animals of course and I know you've created some amazing um successful businesses like JL Fields who we mentioned Riverdale the the cheese shop which I'm def I mentioned in a, a, a news roundup in one of the podcasts and I can't wait to visit when I'm next in New York. Um, it's really exciting stuff and uh, I, I love what you're doing and thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today and uh, sharing such wonderful insights, Victoria. Um, thank you very much. Thank you, Katrina. And can I just say uh, to your listeners, they know about your wonderful book, Vegan Ventures, but that is required reading for anybody who comes to Main Street Vegan Academy. Vegan Ventures is it if you want to start a vegan business, not only to read at the beginning, but to use as a resource over and over again, along with your fabulous website. So thank you so much, Katrina, for all you do and for all the help you've given me. Oh, wonderful. Thank you very much, Victoria. So that was Victoria Moran from Main Street Vegan Academy. You can find out more about Victoria and the Academy at MainStreetVegan.net and you can find that link on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts. Now for our Vegan Business News Roundup. Vegan Big Macs are coming to Toronto when popular LA eatery Doomies opens in the spring, reports Ecorazzi. Yes, vegans love our comfort food and plant-based Big Macs are giving meat-based versions a run for their money. Doomy's Big Mac was named one of the best burgers in LA by LAist and even Vice magazine recognised its decadence, calling it so addictive they may as well be a Breaking Bad box set wrapped in heroin. <laughs> what a fantastic endorsement. According to Ecorazzi, the new restaurant will open on Queen Street West and will serve up a heap of other veganised versions of barbecue, pulled pork sandwiches, avocado fries, fried chicken and more, plus some tantalising vegan desserts. The company's yet to announce an opening date, so keep an eye on the Doomies Toronto Facebook page for updates. It's all happening in Toronto, it seems, as the city gets its first vegan ice cream parlour. BlogTO reports that Nana Shake, a 100% dairy-free ice cream parlour, has moved into Yonge Street, just in time to make Toronto's vegan community very happy. Bananas form the basis of Nana Shake's treats. According to BlogTO, flavours include original, chocolate, strawberry, spiced date, rosy pistachio, coffee and mint chocolate. Yum! <laughs> So a bit like vegan cheese stores, which are popping up all over the place, the same's happening with ice cream places. In previous episodes of Vegan Business Talk, we've mentioned the opening of London's first vegan ice creamery, Yorica, in the UK, while in Sydney, Australia, Gelato Blue recently switched to all vegan offerings. 
So what with Big Macs, cheese and ice cream, vegan businesses are doing a fantastic job of showing the masses just how delicious and downright naughty plant-based eating can be. Pinnacle Foods, the parent company of renowned vegan brands Gardein and Earth Balance, have said due to the success of Gardein, they'll be placing an increased focus on plant-based foods, reports Food Business News. Mark Schiller, president of North American Retail for Pinnacle Foods, said during a presentation before the Consumer Analyst Group of New York in March that the company believes we're at a tipping point in terms of people starting to look at plants as an alternative to animal protein. Consumer interest in sustainability as well as health benefits are key to driving up the demand for plant-based foods, Schiller said. The billion-dollar company, which also owns Birdseye and Boulder Brands, plans to continue to innovate in the plant-based arena with an additional emphasis on items that make fruit and vegetables more appealing to kids and tweens, including Disney-themed offerings. So this is brilliant news. To see a huge corporation like this acknowledge, embrace and invest in plant-based protein signals a major cultural shift, which augurs well for people, animals and planet. Renowned author, commentator and business journalist Susie Welsh has also weighed in on the plant-based revolution. Responding to a call-out by LinkedIn for influencers to write letters to the next president, Welsh, who is an advisor to the recently launched Good Food Institute, wrote, Plant-based food technology is, in my assessment, the next big thing for the world economy and should command the attention of any president and, frankly, any business professional today. The future, I would tell the next president, belongs to the entrepreneurs and the countries that support them, who realise that in 10 to 20 years, those restaurants, and likely all restaurants and homes as well, will be serving very different menus, with dishes that may look and taste familiar and delicious, but derive their ingredients from plants rather than animals. Think a hamburger grown from cultured cells in a lab, slathered with melted cheese made from cashews, topped with bacon that's actually seaweed. What an excellent message for Susie Welsh to share, not only with the next president, but all the business professionals that she has access to on the LinkedIn platform. And this is certainly my vision of a a vegan world, so let's bring it on. Finally, two surfers have opened a vegan cookie stand on the porch of their home in Venice Beach, Los Angeles, reports LA Weekly. Brothers Kyle and Wesley Stewart run The Stoop, which offers simple yet tasty cookies whose flavours include chocolate chip, peanut butter, oatmeal maple raisin and coconut cranberry. The brothers moved to LA from Michigan, where they helped their father, an organic grain farmer, launch a small family business selling baked goods at a local farmer's market. Now they're taking advantage of California's new cottage food operation law, which allows people to prepare and or package for retail certain non-hazardous foods made in home kitchens. Kyle and Wesley make the cookies in the tiny kitchen of Kyle's studio apartment and take them out to the porch for sale. And the porch also serves as storage for the brothers' surfboards and bikes. So in the evening, the pair bake the cookies, they go surfing in the mornings and sell the cookies late afternoon, early evening. That sounds like a pretty cool lifestyle, doesn't it? (laughs) And it just goes to show that vegan run businesses can be of all different sizes. 
I love how these guys got really creative. So instead of renting expensive commercial space from the get-go, they've saved on costs and get to test out their market before potentially expanding in the future. You can find out more about The Stoop, its opening hours and place orders on the Stuart Family Organics website at stuartfamilyorganics.com. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please consider giving it a review and a rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. I'm Katrina Fox from veganbusinessmedia.com and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode. Bye for now. 